You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves into the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe, Vince, and Marty. Welcome to For the Lord, this is Roger coming to you on Monday, the 26th of November. We're going to have an interesting episode here, and you will notice that there's only going to be two of us. And that's because, A, it's a fairly slow week in terms of news, but the other guys are a little busy or under the weather because they've been so busy. So I thought what might be interesting in order to kind of prep and, and also get the audience ready for our new campaign that we're going to be starting in January, I thought, why don't we actually just Marty and I sit down? Because the the other two are uh, familiar with Numenera. I'm not. So I thought, you know what? We'll do this kind of like a tutorial session, essentially, on what it is and what character creation is and how the world building works and all that. And because Marty's going to be running that campaign for us starting in January, I figured this is a good place to do it anyway. It's a good time to do it as well. So... If you are not interested in listening to those that campaign later on, that's fine. Skip this episode because we're not going to be talking about actual it. games. No, just, it's not just, fine. Just, just, just relax. People will come. Okay, this this is Field of Dreams for D and D folks. If so don't we worry record about it, it, they will come. Pretty much. So basically, you're up here. You you need to explain this shit to me and to anybody else who doesn't understand it, and then we'll work on the character uh, creation stuff. As an example, we're going to work on what my character will be, and that'll give folks an idea of what how it works as well. So we'll do the uh, more nitty-gritty bits right now um, and explain to everyone that we're cheating. Uh, we are actually mashing things up Uh Joe and I have had this conversation and actually Vince was in on a separate, but similar conversation. Um, we find that the D 20 system works pretty well. And Numenera sometimes has a Numenera has a difficulty with uh, the extra added level of rolling. Um, there are some cool bits. Uh, so we're going to do a little bit of a mashup uh, taking the D 20 familiar rules putting them in the Numenera setting and then, you know, pulling things left and right as we need to turning the D 20 dial up as high as it goes when we need to. And then turning up the weird of Numenera and the one shite magical item known as the cipher whenever else. And we're also going to uh, the first episode, we're going to build out um, part of the campaign world together as an exercise. Um, this is a part of the microscope system but I dig about it is that we're all going to have an opportunity to say like, this is the kind of game I want. This is what I want in it. This is what I don't want in it. And I find that that uh, gives everybody an opportunity to really build what they want, not just in terms of their character, but in terms of like the game they want to play. And then it's up to me to take what they, you guys have said and turn it to the left or turn it to the right. See, that's actually one of the elements of this that, I, in, and not to be negative or anything like that, but I'm not as crazy about. I, I can appreciate how maybe some people would be and some DMs would be, um, but as as a storyteller, I, I'm like, 
I know. I'll create my own damn world and you guys are going to live in it. Fuck you if you don't like it kind of thing. So the idea of everybody kind of having a say in how it goes, I don't know. That's We'll see as it, it, it occurs and when we do it in January. But just in, in theory, it's, it's not really a principle that, that I'm that fond of. Yeah, and we, we've had that conversation. I don't think you're being negative. It's this is a way uh, to tell a communal story. And the way I view all RPGs is that communal story. And what we're doing is we're setting the sandbox to be Numenera. And then we part one part of the sandbox that says, this is what we're going to start off with. This is how we all work together. And then I let you guys destroy the sandbox or add on to the sandbox or move sandboxes. I'm not. But don't you be, feel um, that that takes away from you as the dungeon master's um, investment in the world and things like that, and the knowledge of the world to be able to to improvise as need be going forward? As and and, and it's fine if it's not. It's just I'm I'm kind of again I'm thinking of it in terms of well how would I like this, and. For me, it, it strikes me as a, a world that, because I didn't create, would be fairly hard to be able to kind of improvise in when we go off the rail, which I know that I am want to do. That's for damn sure. Oh, I'm expecting you to want to go off the rail. Um, and I don't think so. Like, uh, for me, I have run a quick backstory. In college, I ran a game for four years with the same group of people pretty much uh, in a system called world of darkness. Uh, it was a werewolf game. Um, and I knew everything that was going on in the story. And I let my players dictate a lot of what was going on. And I find that the parts of the game that I, if I could do over a little bit, I would have given my players more. Uh, and really since then, Oh yeah. Like I knew everything that was going on, but I feel like, um, if the game becomes too precious to the game master, then it's not a communal story. It's me railroading my players. Okay. And I don't want to do that. Before we, we go on, let me ask you this, because clearly you've run a lot of different campaigns, a lot of different things and whatnot. Do you prefer this kind of system over a system where you design it entirely or as opposed to a campaign that say wizards puts out for a specific you know, campaign that you can run that everything's already there for you. What do you prefer? I prefer to take uh, something of a middle road, give me a setting to play with and let me build up. Like, like for instance, I'm, as I'm working on this Numenera game, I've also got a regular old 5e campaign building in the back of my mind centered around a couple of interesting enemies from the monsters manual, uh, as well as, magical items and we just build a campaign from there uh but i have run games in the forgotten realm setting it used to be my jam and then it wasn't uh i find that the the prepackaged module can be fun uh but for long-term campaign play i want my players to be like uh i want them to be like to be more along the lines of let's tell a story together and like, let's see how we can explore what's going on. Um, right. I don't care for the prepackaged adventures to run. I've tried it. It wasn't really for me or the people that I started playing with, but the ideas from it 
uh, are always great. Like that's why I went nuts on Numenera over the weekend because there was a sale on drive through RPG and I have been digesting and thinking of little interesting stories. And this system has nothing but hooks. Uh, and I really dig that. But it's also incredibly frustrating. It, it could be frustrating for someone who's like, no, I need to know what was the eighth world like? What ended it? And I don't need to know that because I have an idea of what ended the previous world and the previous uh, eight worlds, in fact. Um, so I prefer give me the tools to make my own thing. Kind of like, think of it this way. Uh, back when, I'm pretty sure when we were kids, Legos didn't have like, the, you, there wasn't a Star Wars set, right? Like you just got your box of Legos and you're told to go make something. And sometimes there would be packaging on the side saying, make this cool spaceship. And I would always be like, fuck your spaceship. I'm going to make my spaceship, but I'm going to use your parts to make my ship. And that's that's how I view games like this. And I want give and take. And I think that uh, Numenera on its own doesn't do that. Microscope does, but Microscope isn't a fun game to play uh, when you want to get into the nitty gritty and have a sword fight. And we want sword fights or people throwing lightning bolts or I don't know, flying octopus cars. It, it just all depends on what you guys want to do. Okay. So explain to both myself and everybody listening, Numenera and Microscope. Okay, let's start with Microscope, because that's going to be uh, rather simple. It is roughly four phases where you brain start phase. Let me start over. There's four phases. The first one is where you everyone agrees to like a one sentence summary of the kind of game you're going to play. Uh, humanity has grown lax after conquering the stars. Okay. Uh, you then talk about what you will have and not have in that game. You talk about phases of history. And then in a real microscope game, you would go back and fill out each part and everybody would take a turn saying like, okay, so towards the end of humanity's empire in space, this happens and it's dark. And then this happens and it's light. What we're going to do is instead summarize the game we want to play. Step one, do a pass on it on what is and is not allowed. So for example, if you guys say, uh, I don't know, no werewolves, no werewolves in game. Um, and if you say there will be, um, there is magic in the world. It's not just robots and nanomachines. There's truly, there's magic like the dying earth series. Then there's magic and I get to invent and add magic whenever I want or whenever you guys want. And we get to do it that way. And then we take turns flushing out the area and time of the world in which we live. And then the next game, we would start playing the actual setting of Numenera. Okay. Now is microscope uh, specific to Numenera or D and D, or it can be used for any kind of RPG. It can be used for it's its own RPG. And what we have used it for uh, in my hometown is uh, designing and building campaigns together. Oh, so uh, you basically played, just cannibalized the the world building or universe building elements of another RPG, and you're kind of tacking it on to D and D. Yep, I'm welding okay. it together. Okay, okay, that makes a little bit more sense because I was trying to get a grip exactly on what microscope is because it wasn't really clear. So I thought it was something very specific to helping you world build in um, D and D. No, it's been used for that and it's, but it's, 
it's its own system of play of like epic macro history right which is fun uh for a lot of people and i could if this game came out in college i'm positive we would have used it and played with it but what we've used it for is designing l5r campaigns legend of the five rings a few homebrew dnd games uh and i've found it to be a great tool in setting up expectations if not complete setting um because i don't want people coming in ex expecting one game and getting something else because we missed something um i am totally cool with characters missing each other in play but i am not cool with players missing each other like i am as much as i don't mind splitting the party i don't want solo players who like i'm gonna go be a hero off here and the rest of the team is like trying to do something else I think that this has a way to tie everybody into the story that we all want to explore. And then it becomes my job to figure out how to navigate those boundaries and play within that sandbox until the players decide to break the sandbox and we all go nuts. Cause that's, what's going to happen. Yeah. And how common is this microscope in terms of what you're using it for? How common is that? Or is that just, a colloquialism kind of thing that you and your friends decided to do this. Uh, I think it's what my buddy will, I think it's a lot of what he has done and I, he may have gotten it from a convention or from hanging out with other game designers. And so uh, like all good things that I do when it comes to story gaming, I'm literally stealing from my good friend, Will Heinmarch. So, okay. But so you don't know whether or not this is a common practice amongst D and D players to use this system it's common in my experience and from what i've read for people to combine and mash up worlds and systems so that isn't so i think it's it's common um is it like super common that everybody does it i don't think so but i think okay. it's common enough okay all right well now that we know what it is and how this is gonna work then fantastic basically again it's all it is is a a tool, same as anything else that you'd used in order to build your world, build your whatever. That's all it is. So, so I mean, you could use it for anything. Right. And it's this world, this that we're building in this new Minera is uh, designed specifically for us, by us. It's rather, it's, I think, like bespoke gaming. All right. So now you want to run into new Minera and what that is. Yeah. So, okay. Numenera is a game uh, and a game world created by a gentleman named Monty Cook. And Monty Cook was instrumental in designing the third edition of D&D. He played a big part in 3.5, lots of Pathfinder. He's written for companies as wide as, you know, Wizards of the Coast, as well as Marvel at DC. And Numenera is his setting and uh, the establishment of his rule set called the Cypher System uh, that takes place in the completely alien world of Earth one billion years from now. Is uh, this actually D&D &D specifically, or this is just another RPG? It's another RPG. There is okay. no... It's, it's got its own system called the Cypher System, which is built as a way to do exploration and discovery. Uh, one of the complaints about D&D, &D, regardless of edition, is that it is very combat heavy and doesn't allow for the, uh, as deep of an ex of exploration and sense of wonder. I find that to be kind of BS. Every system has its strengths and its weaknesses. Uh, 
D&D is, especially 5th edition, is amazingly quick to pick up and very flexible, and it doesn't get in the way of things. Uh, and if it does, and this campaign crashes and burns, we have all learned a valuable lesson, and I'm not going to sweat it. Okay, now, and again, and I, and I know that you don't mind. That's why we're doing this, but I'm asking a lot of stupid questions, not just for the sake of the audience who might not know, but myself as well. So are we, just so that I understand, so we're using microscope in order to use its universe building module we're applying that to numenera which is going to be the lore and the setting and then we're going to be using dnd's combat system combat rules system okay um, yeah. if, if i had it if Jesus, I had you are putting the fucking puzzle together <laughs> Why don't you throw in some Mario Kart while you're at it? Well, honestly, if I could, I would add a skill system from a different setting. I, I, I find the way that the gumshoe skill system works is just so beautiful and elegant. Um, but Ooh, what's that? Okay, so gumshoe, you might get a kick out of this one. It is uh, the gumshoe system is basically every game in a gumshoe rule set is a mystery. It's a whodunit. Um, there's a gumshoe game called Ashes of the Stars or Stars of Ashes or something. I forget the exact title. But it's basically a space game and uh, the entire universe is missing time. And that's the setting and people want to go find out what happened and what did people do during the missing time. Um, I have also played it where you're a ghost uh, and you're a ghost detective, basically, trying to figure out how you died and how you can go, you know, solve your own murder. Jeez, these sound awesome, actually. They're they're pretty great. And my buddy Will uh, has a game coming out eventually called Dark that uses a system similar to this in terms of skills. Uh, it's great because, like, once you have a dot in the skill, you know that thing. So, like, in D&D... You are proficient in the use of lore. You roll your D20. You roll a one. You may not know as much as you probably should. Gumshoe says, no, you got a, you got a point in that. You know this. If you expend the point, you burn it, you get to learn more, um, but you still get that thing, right? You still get that knowledge. So, for example... Uh, people who've taken Psych 101 should be able to tell you the difference between behavioral, um, between uh, behavioral slash classical conditioning and operant conditioning. Every psych person, you took one psych class, you should be able to do that. People who took were psych majors should be able to tell you something more. Um, and so they would have a better chance. They, they would know more of the the given topic. So you as the GM just have to figure out like, all right, what do they know uh, per level? And if they burn it, what if they burn the skill, if they use that skill, which regenerates slowly, what more information do they get? Or if it's a lie, how do they figure that out? It's okay, a, it's a but you're not putting system. any of that in this, though. No, okay. but I, I will be like, look, you, uh, let's say, Roger, let's say you're playing a warlock who is linked to uh, a demon from a different plane. And we're talking about demons from another plane. I'm not going to, like, if you roll, I'm not going to necessarily make you roll to know that 
this de- demons from the other planes are not trustworthy. Okay, like that's basically yeah. kind of bending the rules of the D and D combat or rolling system as well, kind of being a little bit more lenient oh, yeah. as a GM or DM. I mean. Yeah, because there's nothing more frustrating than like, you know, if you're stressing out, like in like let's say. I don't know how it would happen, but let's say it's like a game show where you have to answer the question or the, the automaton slash giant nano spirit wants to disintegrate you. Then you're going to have to roll because you're under pressure. But if you're not under pressure, I don't necessarily see the need to roll something. Right. Okay, so back to Numenera. Yeah. Uh, it is set 1 billion years in the future. Uh, and if you think about it, Earth a billion years ago... Uh, was a completely alien world with no ozone layer, multicellular life in the oceans, but stuff is just beginning to pop up on land. Um, there's uh, no continents as we know them. There's actually a giant supercontinent known as Rodinia, and life as we know it could barely exist. If we take that idea of an alien Earth we just tweak it so it's 1 billion years from now. The answer to what is that world like is Numenera. It is a world that has gone through eight previous grand civilizations, like uh, type one civilizations that have harnessed their the full power of their star. They have explored the cosmos. They've explored the Marianas Trench. They've reshaped the world. Uh, and the guidebook in Numenera does not tell you what did what and what sorts of uh, civilization advancements occurred. Um, it's clear from some of them that like one of the systems probably had a Dyson sphere that's gone. Uh, the sun is not in a different stage. It is still in a yellow star stage, even though a billion years from now, it would not be. Uh, there is a giant supercontinent and it is shaped to basically look a little bit like a star, uh, which is kind of weird. Uh, but humanity has returned to Earth and is beginning the ninth civilization. And we are about uh, from the from the rule book. It's it's pretty clear that the land called the Steadfast, which is where most campaigns begin, but there's no reason why ours has to start there. Um, it has been about 500 years since uh, they've gotten a really good, solid uh, handle on knowledge and moving forward, understanding that there are no such thing as ghosts and spirits. There's just technology left over from one of these eight grand worlds. I actually like the idea of it being a billion years in the future, not because in terms of... Um it being a sci-fi clearly, but what you can do with that, like it's, it's one of those things where, you know, people will say, well, you know, a lot can change and all that, but it's not until you kind of look a lot closer to home. As an example, a dozen years ago, the iPhone did not exist. Like think of how huge (laughs) that is that only a dozen years ago, that did not exist in our world. Um, this is a billion years. So literally anything can happen and you can really have fun with um, if you are clever in your world design, you can have a lot of fun as well to put things that might not necessarily make sense, 
but that are there and as flavor for that that period in that world. Like when you look at our world now, there's a lot of shit that doesn't make sense. And you can look at it and say, why, you know, if you were writing it, people would say, like, why did you put that in there? That makes no sense. That that doesn't line up. But that's just reality. That's that's humanity. So to play with that um in a a setting that, like you're talking about, the communal setting of or world building, kind of universe building, it's going to be fun to see how it will be with the the four of us, well, five actually, sitting down and and just coming up with not just realistic shit, but potentially some weird shit, just just to have fun and to give this place flavor. Exactly, and the thing that I I really dig the idea of. One billion years from now, and what is t- yeah? I love the the what is it? Clark's third law: a technology sufficiently advanced enough will appear to, as if it was magic, and that's kind of one of the ideas behind Numenera. And what I really dig is like we get to play with all sorts of wonky, bizarre ideas regarding string theory, uh, psychic power, nanotechnology run amok or run perfectly normally, aliens. Uh, all sorts of shit and play with it in such a way that it doesn't break anything because it's all built to be this gigantic soup, the stew pot of weird fiction. Um, there's definitely like some uh, dying earth vibe to this setting. You know, the Jack Vance setting, which interesting D and D has classically had the Vancean system of magic, wherein a wizard memorizes spells or a cleric memorizes spells that comes directly from the dying earth books. Um, so there's a direct connection to how D and D has influenced this as well as a whole bunch of other products, but they're just taking it to a new degree uh, and, and playing with stuff to, you know, build this, this just bizarro world. And I, I, really find some of the fiction that they've written and some of the fluff that they've written to be really engaging about that. Okay. What else? So, uh, what else about the setting? Uh, there are a handful of major cities and, and whatnot, but what we need to know is that there is the steadfast, which is, which is the most common science fantasy kind of setting. There's the beyond, which is just outside of the steadfast. And there's the night, which is literally space and going to planets like Venus and Mars, no more Mercury. Mercury's swallowed up by the sun. Uh, Well, I don't understand what you mean by these three settings. Oh, like, so in the main book, there is the, uh, the steadfast where the majority of campaigns begin, which is a pretty, it's weird, but make sense. No, are you talking? Is steadfast a like zone, a world, or is that just a like a campaign name kind of thing? The steadfast is a collection of nine kingdoms uh, that are okay. all have all one thing in common, and that's that they have some sort of connection to a religious organization. Okay, semi-religious organization. Okay, so it's kind of like a faction, essentially, an alliance yeah. of factions. A faction or a game world, like, or a game zone makes a lot of sense. The beyond is uh, parts of the nearby the steadfast that don't owe any allegiance to that pseudo religious figure. Uh, and then uh, the night, which is 
the remnants of previous civilizations in outer space. So uh, orbital state, not really orbital stations, those have all fallen apart, but you know, planets that have been colonized or uh, other dimensions that have been colonized. So what's the purpose of that for us to decide where we want our campaign to take place or to decide where our, our characters are coming from or they to, to world build? Where it takes place, what the characters know, uh, what are the boundaries of the game? Like if y'all say we don't want to go into space, spaceships do not exist. Then guess what? Spaceships don't exist. And there's a whole uh, like beginning arc that I have that I'm not going to use because spaceships don't exist. So that means now, we're down then to just the two faction, the steadfast and the other ones. Yeah. Well, okay. there's, there's actually like, like a handful more, but don't complicate this for me. You. I'm struggling as it is. <laughs> right. I, I don't want to complicate it, but I also like, I want to give people enough wiggle room to say like, I want to come from a place like this and we can go there. And then what okay. players know versus what characters know. But I'm okay. But see, again, that's not quite making sense for me then in terms sure. of what steadfast represents, put it in terms of a, a game or an MMO. Is this like, the horde or the alliance where we've got different races that are in there or is this more about um say healers versus like because this would be clerics and people who follow specific religions versus say warriors or whatever kind of thing or what does that actually represent all of these different groups or is that just yeah. to be able to choose you want to be a, a, a mystic human mystic whatever then you need to be part of the steadfast so think of it this way. The steadfast is vanilla. Wow. You've got your zones. Um, you've got your kingdoms. You've got your basic character classes. Uh, you've got your level cap. And uh, so levels one through 60 uh, are the steadfast. The next, ver the next, uh, so the burning crusade is the beyond. And you start moving and your level cap has gone up. Uh, new races have been introduced and, uh, I think there's a new class. No, no new class. Other races were allowed to take new classes. Um, very quickly, the supplements that uh, the Numenera company has basically put out, we get to Cataclysm where it reworks everything very fast. But for, for all intents and purposes, think of the Steadfast as vanilla WoW. Okay. You could play the whole game, including Endgame, from 1 to 60 and go through a whole bunch of zones. Uh, and, you know, you progress through each zone okay that makes a lot more sense yeah it's it's uh, yeah the, i i i'm glad that's making more sense well it's it, again this is something that i kind of need to remind myself periodically how these rpgs have essentially expansion packs so i'm exactly exactly what this is okay all right cool go on yeah so uh what we need to do for your character creation, one of the things that I really love about Numenera is that its character creation method uh, is all about the kind of player uh, character you want to play. Um, it doesn't, it gives you a really good start and a good hook for what you, I find that it doesn't allow for as much change if your character grows. Um, but that's one of the reasons why we're doing D20 because D20 has that kind of built in. If your character grows or changes, there's some stuff that you can do with that. Numenera would let you do that, but uh, but it's not as organic, I find, as, say, uh, multi-classing in D&D &D might be. 
Right. We can, we can do it one of two ways. We can just go through the basics of blended character creation. Uh, or we can talk a little bit about um, combining the races from D&D into Numenera and what that would entail. Either one is, is fine with me, whichever would help you stay grounded on this, this journey. Okay, so basically, again, because you've kind of pieced this together from a bunch of different things, we can decide however we want to create our characters is what you're getting at. Pretty much. Okay. Like, like uh, in, in the basic Numenera, uh, your racial traits and what you are is an adjective um, that, like, the, using the, that in the book, you figure out, like, what your power sets are. For D&D, you're like, I'm going to play an elf, and you play an elf. Yeah, but uh, the the D and D still has a lot more in terms of what each race is comprised of and what classes they can play and and stuff like that. Whereas this yeah. is kind of a lot more just open and do whatever you want. A little bit more open, like you can um, you could be uh, so. <clears throat> we'll just go right into the the character class stuff. You could uh, go this way. Um, uh, the easiest way to describe the entire beginning process is you are an adjective noun who verbs. So you could be a rugged nano who bears a halo of fire. Uh, so what that means is you are a rugged um, wizard, sorcerer, cleric, mystic, whatever, whose main way of like getting stuff done is, uh, some, is a focus called a halo of fire. Is that a circlet of fire that helps you focus your mental energy? Is that a gun that shoots fire? Is it a flamethrower? Is it the fact that your left arm is replaced by a, a force field that looks like it's on fire? Like that's where we get the give and take of like um, the, that type of creation. For our purposes, that will just help us decide like, okay, that sounds like you're a... Uh, a sorcerer who follows a fiery kind of path and you know you pick your spells and you talk about how those spells work through the lens of bears a halo of fire okay back I'm, up though how where are we getting these spells from from the spells from, will come from the uh, players uh, players handbook the dnd players handbook oh so this is all this isn't using any spells from within numenera we're going to be using spells from dnd there will eventually be spells and things and uh, things from Numenera that I will pull in, but for the first couple levels, just to make the transition easier, I'm going to go it that way. And then the more Numenera you discover, the more esoteries and spells you discover, the weirder shit. How do you discover spells? You're going to be deciding that as you're running us through or yeah. as we level? As you level, uh, you'll, and I guarantee you, like the whole purpose of Numenera, uh, so with Numenera, the Numenera, these artifacts and other devices from previous civilizations are used to give you power and to do cool things. Um, and so your character may have a cool ability or two, but that's also tied to the Numenera. I would prefer that people do it a little bit more traditionally. Like, no, you go be a badass. You're not a badass because you have a cool sword you're a badass with a cool sword if that makes sense yes it does okay yeah so that's how that would go so you could be for example uh you are a learned mystic 
Uh, well, let's just do one. Let's just do mine. Like okay. you again, you've done you've done this. I clearly have not. So whatever you think, however you think we should do this. So I, I'm open to it. I mean, it's it's going to be four weeks. Whether the character lives or dies, and I use it again, doesn't matter as long as I can have fun with it. So exactly. you run me through whatever you want, and I'll answer your questions. Um, so we need a D and D character creation sheet, then, right? I'm I'm assuming, or is there a Numenera yeah. one? I we we're gonna use the D and D sheet, but I've got one open, so you don't have to worry about that. Oh, I have um, you already. Okay. So go and if you want to put this on the website, uh, we can totally do that. Too. Um, but I want you to go to page ten on or slide ten on the uh, I'm new minute. <laughs> I'm, I'm okay, in there waiting for you. <laughs> Okay, now this put together the sentence that you want to make, um, that who you want to play, uh, and I do have the Numenera book uh, on my laptop, and so I can pull up something if it's confusing for both of us. Um, but so the listeners can't see what we're saying. Um, there are any number of adjectives uh, that are used to describe the traits within that character. There are. In Numenera's basic book, there are three character classes, the Glaive, the Nano, and the Jack. Glaives are fighters, Nanos are magic users, and Jacks are rogues. Uh, and, and there's a little bit of wiggle room for each one to be something else, uh, but that gets a little bit confusing, so we don't have to worry about that too much, too, too much. Uh, and then the foci, these verbs, talks about how you get stuff done, and this will be um, a, the path to which you build. So for instance, if you are a clever gay glaive who wields two weapons at once, that is super easy for me as a longtime D&D player and as a understander of this type of fiction, you're playing a ranger that goes down the two-weapon path, uh, two-handed two weapon path, period. Done. It's over. There are crazier shit in this list. And we can just explore it and figure it out together. Okay, I was actually looking it over. I, I, I told you I would go through it, and I did. And I thought, you know what? I would like to do something that was a little different, but not... I, I was thinking of it because of um, our uh, Tales from the Loop campaign that we did. And I had told Joe when I was getting that character set up and all that and, and Joe and, and Vince how I wanted mine to be he's not the brightest necessarily he's not going to be the one that's leading because like Sir Reginald was front and center because Joe was playing the bard just tagging along essentially um, and I thought no no this is somebody else's time to shine and I kind of like being that support as well just in the background and just kind of support and so in this case here what caught my attention of course were the mechanical elements and I thought ooh what about a learn mechanical, and then I can make it a rogue, and then do masters of wep masters weaponry, so that this rogue is like pilfering shit to mechanical things or schematics or whatever in order to build better weaponry for our group. Does that kind of make sense? That is awesome. I love it. When you see this character, uh. So learned mechanical. So I see grease paint. I see uh, nimble fingers. I see uh, uh, like physically messy, but a but a, an immaculate workspace. Um, 
I see uh, targets next to uh, uh, body bags or, you know, punching bags next to like a knife drawer. Is this what you're seeing or you tell me what you're seeing when it comes to what does this person look like? Well, I was not thinking quite as uh, proper in terms of everything being set up and a clean environment and things like that. I was looking much more grease monkey kind of thing. Uh, the image that actually comes to mind for me is, did you ever see the animated Atlantis cartoon? It's been a long time. The one that had uh, Michael J. Fox was playing one of the characters. Um, yeah, I've seen I've seen it, but it's been a while. But do I you think remember the spunky little female mechanic that was in there? Yep. Her, except a him. Uh, I, <laughs> I, and I thought just this ridiculously um, uh, kind of crafty, spunky, a little bit of an attitude as well, but not going to be causing trouble. And just somebody who's not afraid of getting their hands dirty, be it building something or because he's going to be a rogue taking somebody out if they deserve it kind of thing. He'll, he'll be uh, morally in terms of like a little, a little bent morally that he doesn't have a problem with killing, but when required or if he's put in a corner, uh, but that kind of attitude. So the idea that you have of there being like these targets and shit like that for when he's working on the stuff. Yeah. Uh, 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 basically this could be a garage that's kind of like hell, even maybe in the basement instead of, of wherever they live. And he's got this full, um, uh, uh, set up in terms of all the tools, a variety of different elements that he has gathered over the years from different places. And as well, I thought that it could be, because again, he's a, a rogue, so you have that that underground kind of mentality as well, that he could be tied into whatever kind of black market exists in this universe, so that if you're looking for something, you can go to him, and he'll know where to check and get prices and, and procure whatever it is that you're looking for kind of thing. And the same thing, he can sell whatever he's working on to make some profits for whatever it is that he may need money for. Does that make sense? Totally makes sense. So it sounds like this is a character that is very comfortable like uh, in the workshop as well as in the black market world where they buy and sell their goods and maybe even uh, an above ground market as well. It sounds like, uh, both to me, um, but you master the use. Of, uh, so in addition to being, you know, a good salesperson for said things, you're looking to master, you know, how those weapons work. Right. Yeah. I'd be looking like, I don't know how many like quote unquote skill points kind of thing, but if I was looking at the, say the most important three kind of thing, I'd be looking at, he has to obviously be a good uh, good with guns and quick draw kind of thing. He has to be mechanically intelligent so that he can be learning and putting things together and then have the last one be he's, he talks a good game so he can sell things schmooze and, and those kind of things. So those were the, the three pillars that I figured for the character and the rest kind of works itself out. Gotcha. Uh, so we're going to worry about the actual, um, uh, what's called the archetype. So once you reach a certain level in D&D, you get to basically specialize in a specific area. Uh, arcane trickster, 
uh, like an assassin, the thief, the inquisitive, the scout, the swashbuckler. Uh, Gavin, not Gavin, uh, what's the name of my character in um, Vince's game? I'm totally blanking. Uh, what? Oh, my rogue. Last... In... What's yeah, that? The one in our D&D that we just finished? Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember his name? Because I'm totally blanking. Which Something with a T. You're asking yeah. the wrong person. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but moving uh, on. Moving on. That character was, uh, like, if we ever go back to that game, is a swashbuckler paladin. Um, so is, uh, like, is a weapon master of a specific kind of weapon, uh, but is uh, rakish and you know, uh, not too wise, but, you know, not the same thing. But it, the rogue class can definitely do what you want it to do. Um, so you uh, get, we'll worry about what that is going to be because right now I'm leaning towards um, that it, what might work for you would be arcane trickster, scout, or possibly assassin. Um, if the mastering of weapons is just for the making sure you are able to kill one particular person. Well, the most important thing will be, again, the being able to make weapons. So the master yeah. master's weaponry, that's going to be the most important because he needs to be able to support his team. So um, the most important thing has to be that. So whichever of those has that as the most important, that that's what we should choose. Gotcha. So let's go to, we're going to skip the race thing um, because as important as that is, uh, both for D&D, &D, uh, for D&D, &D, for Numenera, it's not as much um, because that is decided by your adjective. And we already know that the learn mechanical, you're going to make stuff. So we'll come back to talk about what the stats are, what that looks like in terms of um, how your character functions uh, secondly, so let me just go back, going back to level one, confirm. We're actually, uh, after the end of the, um, I'll let you know this first. And I don't know if like Vince and Joe listen to the game. We're pro I'm probably just to be on the safe side that I don't kill anybody because I don't get the magic balance right. I'm going to give everybody an automatic boost to a different level, two or three. I'm not entirely sure. Well, that's like I told everybody when we kind of changed the format so we were just doing one campaign at a time. Because it's a four-week campaign that we may go back to at another time, but we may not. It makes perfect sense to either boost characters or whatever because it's not like we are going into this with the, the purpose of leveling up our characters that are near and dear to us so much as it is saying like you know take us for a run take us for a ride we're here for the the enjoyment of for the entertainment of what's about to happen so to me it doesn't matter what level a character is as long as we can have fun in there good so uh we're gonna need to look into crafting an item because that's what you want to do um let's see here there is huh Okay, so the crafting rules in D&D &D are a little bit more, they're simplified from where they used to be. I've been playing this game long enough to remember when it was like, 
insanely difficult, crazy. And this is now like, you just kind of do it um, in your downtime. So we are going to have to blend and find a proficiency or, you know what? Screw it. We're, we're going to do a homebrew thing. So I'll have to figure this out, which is not a problem. Um, but you're going to take one of your skills. So you have four skills, which is a lot for uh, a starting character in 5e. Uh, but you're only going to get three, Roger. And here's why. You're going to get a craft skill. And we're going to use the craft skill um, of to figure out if it's predominantly uh, you know, what, what type of uh, attribute it's linked to. And you will use this skill to build stuff and hack and hack stuff together. Because the one thing about, you know, being a maker, you're always a maker. You put together stuff all the time. You're thinking about it. You're good with your hands. So the, it might call for you to go to the forge and start hammering out a blade. It might call for you to go to the blacksmith to make a cast of a gear that's very tiny. Um, or in a different sense, like go to the 3D printer and write up the, uh, write up the ingredients to, you know, forge that sword in the 3d printer because right. it's numenera 3d printers are a thing so i agree you're gonna get you're gonna blow one of your skills on craft um unless we find a better crafting system no no i'm uh, all right with that that's that sounds fine to me and we'll just figure out like uh we're gonna make it intelligence so your rogue skill craft will be an intelligence skill and so we'll, we'll homebrew that solution but you get three other skills uh, you may choose from acrobatics, athletics, uh, deception, insight, intimidation, investigation, investigation, perception, performance, persuasion, sleight of hand, and stealth. You did not. You you don't think I remember all that, do you? No, <laughs> because I already know what some of these are going to be. Um, it, sounds to, it sounded to me like... Uh, persuasion was one of them because you sell shit. You're, yes. you're good at navigating. Yeah. Uh, sleight of hand because you have this uh, thievey stuff where you're pilfering. I think you use the word pilfer. Yeah. Uh, which remains, uh, what remains are. Um, well, there has to be skills. one for, for combat for his shooting or whatever. That's just handled traditionally by um, the dice rolls. Oh, okay. So you don't necessarily need it. It's already taken care of. Okay. If you want to be like, make the idea that you're a sharpshooter and you've got like great eyesight, then perception would be it. Um, if you're a thief that doesn't, that, that is really good about sneaking about, stealth would be an option. Uh, if you want to have an attitude that people like, oh shit, I don't want to fuck with them. Intimidation would be the way to go. Uh, my personal favorite skill, regardless of game system, uh, is like insight. Sometimes it's referred to as empathy. Uh, this basically lets you do cold reads on people. Uh, well, I, he I, would have that because what's important is like the, the selling and, the, and things like that and going to the black market and all that. So he has to be able to read people ridiculously well. So this is so there will be abilities and opportunities to get more skills later in game, and maybe and definitely uh, we can put together like uh, ciphers and artifacts that will let you get those things. But it sounds like to me like what you want from the beginning is uh, oh 
Okay, okay hold on now. The, you said yeah. you said three initially, but then you said crafting is going to be one and then three others. It, how many? Right. So I'm getting four altogether is what you're four saying, altogether. but one is counting for two. Okay, so we've got crafting, uh, and then we had you had uh, insight, and then the um, oh, shit the per- perception was it? Uh, persuasion. That's right, right. Persuasion, and then there's one left for me to take. Yes. Okay. Now. Now you can run through that list again, and this time I'll pay attention. <laughs> okay. Acrobatics. So you do flips and shit. Athletics. You run and shit. Uh, deception, which is also good for selling. Yeah. But it's a different kind of uh, foolery. Uh, ins- you already got insight. Intimidation, where your attitude actually has some bite. Uh, investigation, where you're good for searching for clues. Perception, you're perceptive. Performance is typically like oratory and playing your guitar. Uh, you already have persuasion. Uh, sleight of hand, which is where you're good at pilfering things. And stealth, where you're good at sneaking around. Okay, let's do the uh, pilfering. The um, What was that, the second last one? Sleight of hand. I said I was paying attention, folks. You, you <laughs> I did kind good. of was. So slight of hand. So we'll do that one as well. I don't want the him to be, even though he might run his mouth, I don't want him to be intimidating, really. Um, yeah, he can hold his own and, and things like that, but it's not like he can just scare somebody into doing what he wants. He's that's not gonna that's not gonna work. Gotcha. No, that makes total sense. Okay. So the next thing for D and D that you need to pick is uh, your expert. You could choose. uh, So let me, I'm going to put this all together. And for right now, I'm going to leave um, athletics in as the fill in for craft, just so we know that it's there. Actually, hold on. I'm going to make it investigation because I think investigation might actually be intelligence based. I could be wrong. Okay. So at, First level, rogues get uh, expertise with two skill proficiencies. Um, uh, and you make use with your thief tools. So your proficiency bonus is doubled for any ability to check you that, that makes one of those things. So it sounds to me like crafting is one of your expertises. Yeah, of course. And then what would your other expertise be? Like, would it be thieves tools? So anytime you've got to crack a door or do a thievey thing at a door. Is it insight? Is it, you know, where would it? Well, in terms of, again, the importance of, of the things like I said earlier was the crafting, which you've put in there, and then the ability to, well, well either the, the um, persuasion kind of thing or the, although you said the combat's not part of that. So... So I would put maybe the the um, the pilfering shit as the holy fucking hell! I still can't it's hard, remember isn't what it? you told me. Sorry, it's been a hard day and I've been on a lot of pain meds. Um, I'll cut that. Out. Um, so yeah, the the what you call it? Uh, the the pilfering shit. Yes. So that should okay. be second, and then the least important. Well, not least important, but the next would be the persuasion and dealing with others. 
Gotcha. Because the, that can be lower because while he's good at it, I don't foresee that it's just, you know, he opens his mouth and everybody listens and does whatever he wants. Some will if they're not as intelligent, but I fully expect others to challenge him on it as well. That makes sense. So the next thing that we have in the character creation is we're going to do a point by. Uh, is I don't know if Vince did point by or if he just used standard array. I have um, no I idea what you're talking about. So. Okay. We're going to assign the, the stats. So what we can do is we can do the standard array, which is where you get a set gr grouping of pretty good scores. Or we can do the point by, which uh, lets you... Um, prioritize the things you want and gives you a little bit more flexibility um, in the spread. So you could have a level, you could have like an 18 in dexterity uh, and then maybe a 15 in charisma, but everything else is going to be really low. So this part's up to you. Do you want to just do the standard array? Do you want to do the point by? I no, actually, now I do remember Vince did allow us to kind of put the we, we were kind of like this, putting points in and whatnot. So, no, I like being able to put more points in in specific things. The um, someone like this would not be a, um, you know, a, a somebody who's a jack of all trades. Yeah, he's going to be fairly decent at a bunch of things, but he's going to excel at at a few which does mean that some other things will most definitely be weaker and that can come biting them in, in the ass as well. So as a thief, you really want a high dexterity. As a salesperson, you also want a high charisma and wisdom. Charisma to make the sale and wisdom to figure out what sales technique is the best way to score that commission. Um. It sounds like you're using guns and ray pistols and Numenera that shoots things. Yeah. Uh, so it sounds to me like strength does not matter to you. No, no, it would not at all to him. Okay. So uh, I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep strength at eight, which is the low end of average, uh, which gives you, I also increased everything by one point just because, um, but we can always change that. Um, so the remaining five stats are dexterity, constitution, intelligence, wisdom, and charisma. Well, intelligence is um, what he's going to need for the crafting, isn't it? Intelligence is definitely what he's going to need for the crafting. Now, keep in mind, um, your expertise that we're using for crafting, you're a savant at it. So if you had, a, say you had a 15 in, um, in uh, intelligence for crafting, that would give you a plus four in total. Uh, an 18 would give you a plus eight. That makes sense. Like your bonus yeah. is going to double. Okay. Oh, well wait, it's your proficiency bonus. So... Let's let's calm down a little bit. Your proficiency <laughs> bonus is gonna double. So you're you're gonna get double one factor for this score. So you can afford to leave it not your highest, but if you want it to be your highest, do it. Okay, let me ask you this now. And 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 be honest, because I'm like we're not gonna 
we wouldn't do an entire other character during this recording, clearly. But I'm prepared that if this is this would break the game that you would like to run, I'm prepared to do something completely different. But having now run these other things and kind of thinking about it in terms of um, how we played and, and the things that were important to be it research or investigator or things like that, how much are you going to, you and I, play with this idea of a, well, to use Forge as an example kind of thing for Marvel as well, to use that character to, to, to make these things? Uh, are we going to be able to RP that enough in this to make it worthwhile? That's a good question. Loaded question, isn't it? I think, um, so here's the way I look at it. You're putting effort behind the idea of being a crafter. So already, whatever you think you're going to do and whatever your actual, like what your, what your stated motivations are going to be, like you're going to make the world's best gun, you're going to craft this new Monero that does this cool shit, whatever, one of the things it's going to be is like, no, you need to go do this for somebody. You need to go build something for somebody. Because just because you master the creation of weapons doesn't mean that that's the only thing you do, especially in a world like Numenera where, you know, the way you learn shit is by taking apart something that was, that's, you know, maybe a couple million, maybe a hundred million years old. So you're going to be crafty and handsy and like, you know, you're a maker. In my head, you're a maker. So what that boils down to is like, would it be fun to spend uh, a short period of time per game session talking about the stuff that you make? Or is it more fun to, for you to say in the downtime, you make X and then you talk about how it's used or both? Yeah, like there's yeah. no reason we can't do both. Yeah. You can uh, like, I don't have a problem with, with, giving a, a few blurbs about what he's been up to and, and how he developed something or whatever, as long as, again, as long as I'm not breaking the, the world by being too creative with him kind of thing or whatever. But I also like the idea of maybe he chooses jobs because he knows that in the proximity or where he's going or whatever, there's something that he can pilfer to make use of for a weapon for some like Joe's character or Vince's character or, or Ali's so that, Oh, by the way, yeah, it's not just going to be us four. Ali's going to be joining us again, folks. So Hell yes! yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. She's looking forward to it as well. So, um, I like the idea of maybe as, as we're doing it again, as long as you're all right with it, that we kind of can, can, work together on some of that so that I'm choosing jobs or I'm going along with the others based on jobs that it's, Oh yeah, there's something there I need. And then I can also, if this is a billion years in the future and there's various high, highly advanced um, uh, technology and he's a smart guy as well, that it stands to reason that maybe he developed various robots or different creatures that while he's out doing something, he can say, okay, and program it to go, loot something somewhere else or go mine something or whatever so that when he gets back he's essentially got some loot that he can use to make use of with building other weapons and 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 things like that if you want to make a companion like a star wars uh uh kotor companion i'm totally down with that we'll fl we'll figure out what that means and how it works 
Um, it will not necessarily work the way you want it to, and it won't work the way that I want it to, but it will work and will do 99% of what you want it to do. Like craft stuff, defend the homestead, you know, experiment on your neighbor. Ha ha. I was kidding. Oh my God. No, I'm sorry. I was really only kidding kind of stuff. I'm totally fine with that. That Which is not in the rules, but I think it makes total sense for this character to have. Yeah, it would be, it would be a lot of fun. Plus again, the, the, it's again, you use the star Wars analogy. Some of the best characters are the, the droids in star Wars in every iteration, be it the, cartoons the movies the the comic books the psychotic droids <laughs> in star wars are the highlight and that pretty much applies to damn near any droids anywhere so i like the idea of a droid that's it's not always listening or whatever and and i think of it kind of like with our first D campaign with robin that vince was running kind of thing and that she was along not always helping but most of the time yeah I want to look up one thing real quick because when it comes to Numenera, uh, you know, there's some wiggle room when it comes to the, a variety of, but I just want to make sure that like being a sorcerer isn't a better gig. Like, even it if sounds it sounds like this I is don't a skilled think, character. I, I think it would still fit better with a rogue type character than a, a sorcery character for myself. So I, I totally agree, and, but, I, but for different reasons. To me, the idea of, a, of the rogue having so many points for skills makes a lot of sense. Um, I am going to investigate it also as a bard offline, which uh, I'll look into it and just to let you know what that would look like. Um, because there's wiggle room here, right? Like if, if you're, you could be a jack, uh, so a jack is you know a rogue right so you could be a roguish sorcerer right that's just it's not a problem um what we're talking about like you're literally a, almost like a wizard at building stuff see the so way that, that i look works. at it is a lot more grounded that's the being good at building things he's good with his hands he's good with tools he wouldn't be somebody who wields magic which is just out of your hands he or potentially out of staff or whatever, he'd be very technologically grounded that it has to be a blaster of sorts on his hip that he knows how to take it apart inside and out if he needs to. Gotcha. Um, I do think, yeah, I think that works. Um, I'm just trying to make sure that like, because, you know, the other thing I'm going to do, like, depending on how that first game goes, I am all about like letting people re-roll shit, like, especially when we're just trying to figure this out. Um, the goal is to have fun, not to like screw people over by making oh, you yeah, stick yeah. with. That's understood. Um, so I'm going to look up one thing really quickly. If we could have a drum roll. There is. Okay. Now I think I'm going to go back on it. Um, you don't have a connection to like the more arcane, occult like no. Numenera. No. You're like biomechanical, mechanical, yeah, exactly. quantum. You build that shit. Yep. Got it. Like if your kind of Numenera and Cypher was all like uh, artsy fartsy or it's um a thing that glows and then it contacts a different realm. You're like, no, 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 no. This is all 
uh, physics and quantum level shit that makes sense. Yes. Even in a world of billion years from now. Yeah, gotcha. that's that's how I see it. And if even if it's something that he cannot understand, because uh, as as for everybody else, they they believe it is magic. He, even though he does not understand how he will not make that leap that it's magic. It's just something that he does not yet understand. Yeah, it's not magic. You made it and exactly. you're a magician with your hands, but that doesn't make you fucking get. Um which may or may not be a reference that exists in Numenera. I don't I don't mind. I don't care one way or the other. So given what you've said and given how we've talked about your priorities for this character. I have laid out the following stats, and we have a lot of wiggle room so we can move stuff around. Uh, you have an eight strength um, because you've got enough strength with the wrenches and your tools to do the work you need to do, but you're not talking about like like lifting big, heavy synth tubes to make howitzers, at least not right now. You are talking about like making guns and fine stuff. So for that reason, I gave you a dex of 13, which, depending on your race uh, and also your ability score dumps later on, you can easily get a plus two bonus very soon. Uh, a constitution of 10, which is average, you get no bonus hit points, but you don't lose hit points, so that's good. An intelligence of 14, which is uh, you get a plus two. Yes, you get a plus two to uh, your crafting and to anything that uses your noggin. Uh, so you're pretty smart. I'll give you a wisdom of 12, which you're above, you know, you're way more wise than my last D&D character for Vince's game. <laughs> uh, gives you a better understanding of and read of people. And you've got a charisma of 15, which means you are a slick motherfucker. You can get stuff sold. You can get stuff... Uh, you can get people to give you a good deal. Uh, you are very persuasive by default. And with the persuasion skill, you are doubly so. That sounds great I to me. I figured that's what you wanted. Yeah, that sounds like fun. Okay. So, uh, we're before we go to background, which is also kind of sort of what um, we, we might want to change these things around, and I'll keep looking. Um, I want to talk about your race. Um, because this has a very definite um, uh, impact on the crunchy bits of the character and may have components of uh, what your character and how they get along with it the rest of the world. Um, now, in Numenera, there are no such thing as elves. There are no such thing as orcs. Uh, Numenera is populated by humans, mutants, abhumans, and visitants. The thing is this, the difference between an elf and an alien is nil. Uh, elves come literally from the land of Tir Nanog or some other Celtic stuff. Uh, they're not, they're, they're from here, but not exactly from here. Uh, whereas uh, orcs and have orcs and dwarves might as well just be humans that have been compacted or grown, grown more feral. So in short, uh, anything is an option because in Numenera there are mutations there are generations of mutations that become abhumans you can be whatever you want um, so we can do it one of two ways 
you can go through the classic D&D race list and you tell me which one you like. Uh, or we can figure out, like, what is the look that you want. Uh, well, it'd probably be faster if we just go that route and I kind of explain it and then you have the yeah. all of the history knowledge so you'll know what I'm talking about. Also, there is one more thing I want to point out, though, before right. I forget. Uh, because Numenera has a lot in common with another D&D setting, I am allowing the races from the Eberron setting to play a role. Uh, and in Eberron, and I know this might be too close to Babs, but in Eberron, you can't play a robot. You can play it. They're called Warforged, and they are sentient, sapient robots uh, built for war that are free. But in Numenera, this just means you're a cyborg or you're a person that woke up in this body one day and you're like, well, I guess that's what it is. It could be whatever you want. See, yeah, I was looking at cyborgs because clearly it makes sense for, for this character, but I didn't know if it was cyborg in the, like in what sense, if it is partially biomechanical. So there's parts of the human body, plus it's been enhanced or had parts that needed to be replaced with mechanical parts. How does it work in here? Uh, it will work however you want it to work. Like, um, and I'm not saying that to be facetious, but literally, like, let's say you wanted to play a Goliath, uh, and but you wanted to play play up that Goliath as a cyborg. Then, you know, your Goliath has biomechanical and, me and mechanical parts uh, that supplement the injuries that you sustained that uh, you got because you were stuck in the phenomenon known as the iron wind. Um, the priests at the temple of truth decided to punish you for stealing something. And then they, uh, you did it that way. Like that's all up to you. Um, so let your imagination run wild. Like the only way you break it is if we take one of the, we take uh, the bonus that you, that you get and like add more than what's already built in. Okay, so then if we go with a character that is a, just to keep it simple, a human, but that has quite a few mechanical parts in him, um, might even be both legs or one leg and an arm, um, maybe part of his torso. I don't want to go like full on cyborg from Teen Titans kind of thing. Um, not to that degree, but maybe uh, quite a few implants and different things that he's had to get done he didn't choose to get done and but it, i i'd like the character to have that mentality of but never replace the brain never never integrate with the brain even though there might be as everybody likes to tell him bonuses or whatever he values his intelligence enough that he doesn't want to fuck with it by putting any kind of mechanics up there in his head i think that makes a lot of sense especially because like with the human, you get a the straight human, you get a plus one across the board to all of your stats. So that means, um, and and how that comes into play. Uh, oh man, there are so many cool things that we could do with that. Um, so let me pull back to explain another wrinkle that I'm adding to the game that it comes with <laughs> dice rolls. <laughs> Oh, tr trust me, this is not something you have to keep track of. This is something that I have to keep track of. Um, it's uh, basically called success at a cost. So if you miss something by two points, like let's say um, you are 
fighting this thing and you're, you're fighting an octopus and it's about to kill you uh, and you're about to, or you, or you can kill it and you miss your hit by uh, one point and you know that if you hit, you've killed it. I would let you at the cost of something make that hit and do a little bit extra, you know, do or, you know, and so you could succeed. Now, what happens to you? I don't know. It eats one of your metal arms. It, uh, you know, chews out one of your robot eyes, something that is. And then you'll have a penalty to like, um, you'll have a, you'll be at disadvantage for something, but this is how that would work. So that, yeah, that borrows, well, it doesn't borrow, but that's similar to tales from the loop as well, where we were able to take a condition in order to, you know, get another try at doing whatever it is that we wanted to do. And it, it was either you got hurt or you were embarrassed or those kind of things. So the idea of, yeah, his arm gets screwed up because he, he did something he shouldn't have just so that he could do whatever needed to be done makes perfect sense lore wise. Yeah. And so there's all of this in Numenera and all of this in DD is really just a real, uh, us working together to ensure that like, I stay with, if I, if, if we, we set up the boundaries together and if you want them broken or they break in a way that you are comfortable with and not in a way that makes you, you might be unhappy, but you're also going to be like, okay, this is something cool that I have to overcome. Not um, I'm putting you on the midnight train to Georgia when you really, really just want to go down the street. How much more you got? I can like your character is done. Um, there's some crafting things that I'm going to look into, but your character is done. And now what all that needs to happen is you flesh out like some ideas of what this character is and potential hooks. That's however, okay. I can go as long as you need. No, it. no, no, no. We've already gone a hundred uh, or an hour and nearly 20 minutes. So that's asking a Son lot of, of a an bitch. Yeah. That's asking a lot of an audience. So that's why, but I'm, I'm sure some will definitely listen all the way through and, and it's actually, I'm very glad we did this because it's going to be useful, not just for the audience, but I'm going to make sure that the others are going to listen to this as well because you are doing things fairly differently. So I want to make sure that everybody's on board and understands how this is going to work. So the character's pretty much done then in terms of the, the stats, right? You're going to put them where the points were makes sense. Like you were saying. Yeah. And then in terms of any history or whatever, we can work that out later on. I'll come up with some different stuff and we'll work that out in discord. Yep. Well, what else was it that you really wanted to talk about then? All, all I wanted to do is like introduce the idea of you come up with hooks of how people uh, can know or interact with your character. So giving it some pre-made ways of you working oh, on easy. that and then, and we'll work on backgrounds and shit like offline. Yeah. Well, the thing with this character that makes it again so easy to um, for me to work with everybody else, regardless of what they do, is I'm I'm the guy that they go see if they need something, you know. So he wouldn't necessarily work with anybody, but we can easily make it so that he will definitely work with those three though. So that Joe and Vince's and Allie's characters, we don't have to worry. He knows them regardless of who they are, even if he doesn't necessarily agree with all the choices that they make in their in terms of their morality or whatever. He's, again, just morally skewed enough that it's like, that's fine. He can still work with them. That works. Cool. Dude, I'm loving just, this character. 
<laughs> really am. Awesome. It's really coming together in my head kind of nicely. And I know I'm borrowing heavily from everyone from Han Solo to freaking Firefly Captain Mal and different things like that. But the original idea very much was that that spunky um, uh, mechanic from freaking Atlantis. And this idea of just the a, a male character like that as well that can can get into trouble for saying the wrong thing, but is still going to be loyal to the rest of the group and be able to support them in different ways. I think it's a wonderful combination of support as well as main, as well as adding to the lore. So then when we do the microscope session, we're going to get a really good understanding of like, if not where everyone's starting from, where you come from. And I think that's incredibly important to like build. Yeah. And I am looking forward to seeing what that's going to mean for the other, the, the other characters as well. And, and that's something yeah. that we'll see once we actually start playing. Because, well, when we started the D&D campaign, again, I had my little kitty, and I was good being in the back and just listening and paying attention and letting everybody else go. I don't think anybody thought that, you know, the person that would get the, the most attention and lead the group would be the druid. <laughs> Joe's right? druid. But that's what happened. And that it was came so about so organically. It was beautiful, and it was so much fun. So I'm looking forward to seeing what that's going to mean here because, again, he's prepared to follow anybody into battle or make sure they're well supported so that it's going to be a ton of fun i agree i totally agree all right then um, before we cut out then was there any last things that need to be said no we're going to work on backgrounds and tie that in uh offline as well as like during the microscope session as well as with everybody else uh, the only thing that i'm going to ask is that and i'm asking this of all the players is that you come up with some hooks how, what are some ways into being connected to your character, whether it is your character provides X for them or you, prov or uh, they provide X for you or you're related. And that's all up to you guys. Um, you build up whatever you want. Like for instance, what if your robot companion is actually the digital recreation of one of the other players, grandfathers or grandparents or whatever, which is totally a thing that exists in Numenera. And you can totally do that. I actually um, had different ideas for that too, of the AI oh, awesome. that he copied over from somebody that he knew. So the, the droid, he lets it get away with murder, quite literally sometimes, because of the fact that for all intents and purposes, that's somebody that he either once loved or be it as a brother or as a somebody that he was romantic with or whatever. I like this idea that it'll be somebody that's for good or worse always there with him kind of thing so even though the the actual body died he never got a chance to mourn that but because his belief is so strong in the ai that this is this that person it's it continues that that relationship continues that's awesome there is one thing i've just discovered while like looking for some other hooks and stuff um we might shift your um you might make your crafting arcana because we're, it's intelligence based. Uh, and also you, it would be, you have a very um, hands-on down to earth understanding of ciphers and Numenera. Uh, so you might be at disadvantage for stuff that is super esoteric and more fiddly diddly magical, but maybe you'll get bonus. Uh, probably just balance that out with like anything that's mechanical or biomechanical, you would get um, advantage on. So you would right. roll 2d10. 2d20 instead of like 1d20. 
Awesome. Okay. I'm going to write that note. I shot you an email. Let's get some of the basics on there. There's not a lot there, but I uh, will make sure that it gets filled out very soon. So you should have bare bones uh, Google Doc uh, in your inbox right now. So, Well, this is go. looking like it's going to be a lot of freaking fun. Oh, this is this. If, if this comes out like I'm thinking it may, yeah, this might be one of the ones that we return to later on because it sounds like it's going to be a blast. That's my goal. So for anybody who's listening still, I thank you, first of all. And second, we are going to be starting this in early January. I believe January 6th is going to be our first one, I believe. And yep. what we're going to be doing is, unlike before, now we are running one campaign at a time for four weeks at a time every other Sunday. So that means you're not going to have to wait, you know, 12 weeks or freaking longer. I know we were pretty bad this year, uh, but hopefully this will fix that. You're not going to have to wait that long for the next episode of the one that you care about. It's going to be, boom, for the, the next four episodes, this is what you're going to get every other Sunday kind of thing. And uh, and so that's it. So I'm going to be putting this up on the site, and we're going to include some 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 different links to a few things if you are interested in it be it the microscope or the Numenera, because, you know, this might be something that you want to do with a, a group of friends because there's there's no rule that says you have to follow just one specific thing. That's why there's homebrews. It's, it's all about just having fun. And if you've ever been with a good DM that when you come up with some weird-ass fucking thing, suggestion of what to do, and they lean back and, and give you the old, okay, say more, tell me what you're talking about, then you can appreciate that something like this can work just as well as if you were running something straight out of a D&D campaign. So, yeah, check out the show notes at forthelore.com, and that's it. We'll see you in a few days with our regular episode. Bye, guys. Talk like an angel, but I got wise. You're the devil in disguise. Thank you for listening to For the Lore. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Popcorn Ronin with Roger and Vince, a movie, TV, and anime podcast, as well as Lore Watch, a Blizzard lore podcast co-starring Joe. And if you're into comic books, check out All Comics Considered with Marty and his crew. Lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. You can find him at ManelliJamal.com as well as on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs.